Today's topic relates to crossing the void between journalism and marketing. And it's so poignant in the current media landscape where U.S. government representatives are claiming the use of, quote, alternative facts. The idea of fair and balanced news from any source is harder to trust than ever. Is it real journalism or just PR spin? Today's guest will give us some context. What is the DNA of business marketing? How do we market ourselves now and in the future? Brand communications is evolving. Are you? Let's explore together. Spiral upwards. This is Spiral Marketing. Simon Owens is a longtime journalist, marketer, and PR professional. He began his career as a newspaper reporter covering local government in Virginia. In 2008, he moved to Washington, D.C. to work at a marketing agency while simultaneously serving as an associate editor at PBS Media Shift. He's worked with some other brands that you probably will recognize, a little one called Google, Comcast, Forbes, ESPN, C-SPAN, and Nike. His writing has appeared in The Atlantic, The New York Magazine, Scientific American, Forbes, Harvard's Neiman Lab, The Next Web, Daily Dot, PBS.org, and the U.S. News and World Report. Simon is currently a content and social media marketing consultant. He works with brands and individuals to create engaging content for the web and markets that content to target consumers and influencers. Simon, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I don't know if we actually met previous to this. However, I have seen you speak previous to this. I don't really? know if we discussed this. No. Yeah, that's how we originally connected was through Thirst DC. Oh, I remember talking to you at, at one of the events, I think. Yeah. It was a while back now. Yeah. Exchanged emails too, right? I think we did. Yeah. Eric Schulze has since been on the show, actually. Oh, really? We're yeah. s still good friends, still keep up with each other. Still have regular phone calls. That's awesome. Of course, yeah. for the listeners that maybe didn't hear that show, and even if they heard it, might not connect the dots. He's the founder of Thirst DC, which I'm not sure if it still exists or not. No, but he's now got a really cool job. So he's a scientist at a, a company called Memphis Meats, which invented a way to grow lab-grown meat. So eventually, once it goes to market, we'll no longer have to kill animals in order to eat meat anymore. So he's doing <laughs> awesome work. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cultured, right? I'm still in touch with him as well. And mm -hmm. the idea of just eating meat from the culture, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing. I think in like 10 years, when you buy chicken in the grocery store, that it's just going to be lab grown, which is just amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure most people would prefer that something <laughs> doesn't have to die in order for us to enjoy our diet. Yeah. Even <laughs> if you're a diehard meat eater, which I am, but if you don't have to kill something, but still enjoy meat, like I don't see why you wouldn't go that route. Right. Absolutely. In fact, Eric actually mentioned that it tastes better because they can add the amino acids and everything for flavor. It's fantastic. But I can't quite remember this is going back. I mean, I think we probably met like five years ago or something. So I don't exactly remember the topic, but I think it had to do with journalism then. Do yeah. You, do you I'm, recall? I'm guessing the talk had to do with kind of data visualization and, and storytelling and stuff like that. Because at the time I was working at an agency called Jess3, which specialized in design, data viz, infographics, data viz video, stuff like that. Excellent. Well, DC listeners will probably recognize the name Jess3 because their stickers are all <laughs> over the place to this day. Yeah. 
<laughs> Very cool. Well, I think of you as a journalist, and I know that you're in marketing as well, but you publish a lot of work and uh, you talk about journalism a lot. Do you think of yourself as a journalist? Yeah. You know, whenever I'm meeting someone for the first time, I have that struggle of what, how do I introduce myself as a journalist? Because if I say journalist, they're going to be like, oh, what publications do you work for? And these days, even though I've written for these, you know, national publications and stuff, sure. whenever I'm publishing now, I'm publishing it across my platforms, whether it's my website or LinkedIn or medium or something like that, the way that I make money is obviously different from the average journalist. So I kind of struggle with that kind of what's my 10 second explanation of what I do. Sure. Well, it's it's good that you're coming from a different vantage point, I think. It's rare. Word journalist and journalism is really a, a shifting term, I think, yeah. in uh, today's ecosystem. How have you come to think about journalism? Well, I mean, I think like this is why you're seeing more and more this term content, which a lot of people <laughs> hate that's such a milk toast like bland <laughs> word, but it's just because like you know, what we considered to be journalism or film or music, like I, I feel like they're kind of all melding together and what and ads and commercials, like anything that something that a brand puts together and puts online today, they wouldn't call that a commercial. So I do think that like a lot of these lines are blurring and especially with content marketing, I don't know, like some of the stuff I've done for clients, like I interview, I do everything that a journalist does. I interview sources, you know, I create a lead that leads in, I'm writing an article, like a feature length article. To me, that is journalism. The only thing is that it's for a brand instead of a publication. So, you know, I think your point is astute in, in terms of like, how do you actually define it these days? It's, it's a little bit nebulous and hard to kind of grasp onto. I appreciate that. I think you're right. It's interesting. Uh, Years ago, I think most journalists may say, well, there's less bias, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not sure that that's really true at all anymore. <laughs> less bias now? Less bias. Say? Well, back, you know, <laughs> yeah. years ago. Yeah. I, I, think, I think there's always been some bias. But I think years ago, especially before the current era where people are using terms like alternative facts, which... I find it a little bit ridiculous, but maybe not. Maybe it's not ridiculous. The, the idea of where's the line between journalism and marketing? Is it less bias, more facts? I'm not sure that anybody can really make that case as clearly as they could have. Yeah, and you should certainly approach any piece of marketing with a huge grain of salt. I'm not going to pretend like a piece of marketing that a brand commissioned, even if it has all the hallmarks of journalists, should be trusted as much as the Washington Post because like, they're not going to let something that goes against their own brand ethos or against their own industry that's going to be published. I've definitely you know, worked for clients where I've created an article and I've mentioned like a competitor or something like that or something that didn't really fit within their messaging. And they're like, uh, can we scrub that part out? And of course, as the marketer, it's not like you can stand on your principles. Like you, you have to be like, okay, like we'll, we'll kind of massage this paragraph. So it's not mentioning this thing you want to. So yeah, it brings, there's certainly a ton of bias that's being brought to it. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah, brand messaging has there are motives and clear directions and goals that are being hit and spoken towards. And uh, I think everybody understands mm -hmm. that. The best content marketing tries to avoid that as much as possible is trying to be as actually true to the, the facts and as informative as possible. But that being said, I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't some kind of influence on the brand side that affects the messaging. 
Well, just because something has a goal and direction doesn't mean that it doesn't have value and insight, right? Let's talk a little bit about your background and how your past led you towards journalism and marketing mm -hmm. and how inspiration led you here and how your philosophy has changed a little bit as you go, if it has. I started out in journalism. I, I graduated, thankfully, before the recession when you could still easily get a job despite having no job skills. I had no internships in college. I was like on my college magazine. That was the only qualification I had to being a journalist. Lucked out, just sprayed my resume out and got like a cold call to interview for a reporting job at like a weekly newspaper, paid like $10 an hour. So $20,000 a year, not a great job from a, you know, salary career point. But in terms of just learning these skills, it was just like a boot camp. It was almost like I was getting paid to go to school for the first time. And I had also been a longtime blogger. I started blogging when I was a freshman in college back in 2003 before most people even knew what a blog was. Right. So as I was learning these journalism skills, and for years I had been developing these, this kind of bloggy voice, I started kind of merging the two and started doing original reporting on my blog, like emailing these sources and calling them. And, and you think, oh, these people would never talk to me. You'd be surprised who will get on the phone with you if you just say you're a journalist, even if it's a blog that they've never heard of. So I was able to really start kind of building up my brand. And I just happened to interview this guy. His name was Bill Butler. He was working at a marketing company called New Media Strategies. And I didn't know that there were, like, I was kind of just this isolated person alone who hung out all, online all day and, like, read blogs and stuff like that. I didn't know anybody like that. And when I found out that there was these people at this digital marketing agency where that was their full-time job, that sounded like the coolest thing ever. Nice. So he took my resume, he passed it on to the higher-ups, and within a few weeks I had a interview here in Washington, D.C., and basically got the job and moved up here. And you know, right away I was working on this major campaign for C-SPAN. They had created this like hub for watching the debates live online. It was the, This was back in 2008. Mm -hmm. It was the first time there was anything really like this. Like, I'm pretty sure you couldn't have watched the presidential debates online in 2004, the last time before that. So yeah, I just jumped headfirst into this whole marketing thing. And it was just really exciting because this was back before social media was really huge and mm -hmm. everything was in the blogosphere. And I was really able to navigate that, pitch bloggers, watch videos that we were creating for clients go viral and just completely explode. So it was just hugely invigorating. It was like, it was almost like a drug. And if you talk about people who write online content and watch their content go viral on a regular basis, that's the comparison that they make. It's like a drug and you're constantly waiting for that fix again and again. So I definitely, you know, enjoyed it early on. Oh, that's interesting. And has your philosophy changed over the years? Because we went back to 2008 and where social media was nascent. And uh, how are things right now? How do you stay inspired and passionate right now? Mm -hmm. So the internet got a lot more fragmented. So, so it used to be there was this blogosphere. And if you really wanted to spread, you had to go find these nodes of influence and get them to link to your stuff. And that got harder and harder to do. So I, I ended up traversing back from marketing to journalism and back again. So I actually went and worked at US News and World Report. And they did, hardly had any kind of social media 
apparatus back then. This was back in like 2012, I think. So this mm-hmm. was back when the social media editor was at a news publication was kind of a new thing before it was just kind of an ad hot thing. And it really like allowed me to kind of survey the land of this entire social media landscape on for a major publication that was putting out tons of content and really kind of thinking strategically about how do you insert content into these different streams and like I said, the blogosphere started kind of contracting, split off into, you know, basically a lot of the smaller tier bloggers were going on to just using Twitter and Facebook, so social media, whereas like the upper tier were going more kind of professional publications. So whether that was the New York Times or Gawker or BuzzFeed or something like that. So it became much more fragmented and, and much more difficult to kind of navigate where to kind of insert that content. And um, so I kind of went from being kind of like a, what I call a digital PR professional because because it was more like emailing people and finding these influencers to content marketing and social media marketing and stuff like that. So that job at U.S. News Report was definitely really good for me because it allowed me to just kind of focus on that full time, 40 hours a week until I could kind of grasp that. So when I came out of U.S. News and World Report and went back into the marketing side, I was doing very little PR, which was I had been doing a ton of before I went in and was instead doing social media marketing. And the, like my first job at a, a marketing agency coming out of it was like director of digital content, whereas before my title had been something like director of digital PR. Interesting. So what are some of the major takeaways for listeners who are marketers trying to thrive in this changing marketplace, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. I think, one, you have to be able to speak to the client really well in in terms of what their needs are, especially from a content perspective, because they're like, when you're working at a newspaper or magazine, like the people you're talking to, they all know content, but like this client doesn't. And sometimes it's really hard to explain to them that like what you're creating is not an advertorial it's not a commercial it's not an ad like it actually has to be informative it has to grab the reader it has to perform all these things that any kind of journalist has to grasp with any kind of article or or video or anything like that so that's a big part of, of working on being able to kind of navigate the conversation when you're having these discussions towards helping them to understand that yeah, this might not be 100% about your brand, but by creating really meaningful content that's sitting on your website or one of your web properties, that provides value over the long term. This is about the long game. So also, you want to position them so they're not expecting immediate results. Like kind of the adage with content marketing is that a successful content marketing strategy takes six months to to almost a year to where you start really seeing the effects because you have to create that backlog of of content and really kind of build up your your brand online so you really have to you have to manage expectations properly that's a big part of content marketing so obviously it's it's different from campaign to campaign sure but a content marketing strategy it takes anywhere from six months to a year for you to actually see any kind of impact from your content marketing. And that's because you're building up a content archive and you're slowly building brand trust and awareness by putting out great content. Somebody sees a great article from you, they're going to read that article and then go away and forget about you 10 seconds later. But if they're constantly seeing really good video, really good content, really good social media posts, that's when uh, the kind of brand alignment in their own head starts happening and they start associating you as an expert on whatever that thing is. And that's where branding comes in. Excellent. That's a great tip. 
Do you have any favorite stories to illustrate the point? Okay, so I was working at Jess 3, which was a creative marketing agency. And the great thing about Jess 3 is they weren't just good about like creating great content for the brands that they worked for, but they also were very conscious of their own brand. And so they had something called Jess 3 Labs, which were internal projects where we would create really awesome content and then, you know, get it to go viral so that we were constantly in the news. And that and that's why they were able to get so many leads from these huge Fortune 100 companies that were just coming in through the website and emailing us through the website. We didn't have any salespeople at all. It was all just word of mouth marketing. So like wow. we worked on all these like super viral campaigns. One was this like hit like the state of Wikipedia where we got Jimmy Wales himself to narrate this video about the history of Wikipedia and where it was going and stuff like that. And that just like went bonkers. But the story I want to tell you is this about we created this Chrome, you know, the browser. We created this plugin for Chrome called Block Your X. So you could go in and type your X's name and it would basically... Anytime you were browsing any kind of website that had your ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend or whatever, their name, it just wouldn't show it. So it was it would just basically erase it from the internet, or at least the internet that you were you were viewing. And I forget. So this was back, you know, before social media was at the stage it is now. So this is when I was doing more kind of digital PR. And I forget. I think I like found some studies about there was some kind of recent huge study that had gone viral about the effect of Facebook on relationships. So I put in a search for that and found all the bloggers and journalists who had written about that study and then basically just started emailing them and saying, hey, you know, I saw you wrote about this study about Facebook and relationships. We created this thing that basically erases your ex from Facebook. And Motherboard, which is owned by Vice, which back then I didn't even know what Vice was. They were one of the bloggers that I emailed, and they ended up writing it up, and it just exploded. It jumped from there to Gizmodo, you know, a huge tech blog. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple hundred million people on the Internet saw this thing. We were on, like, you know, on t like, not me, but our COO was on television. Like, she was on, like, morning news shows on radio and it was just like a just like a huge we got hundreds of millions of impressions on this great branding for the agency and it was just i mean nothing in the thing was about us but just because we were associated with this thing that we had created we were known as being really creative so that's why brands wanted to, to work with us so it just kind of points to if you if you just create great content you're going to get rewarded for that brilliant and kind of a side thing with my own personal thing, like how I would get all my clients is I create, I, I spend, you know, a huge chunk of my time working on my own content. And I've gotten like huge client deals, like working just off on my own. People would read my content on LinkedIn and then connect with me and reach out to me and then make the connection that way. So it's definitely been a huge boost to my own career, just creating good content. Excellent. Well, that's how we connected, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's how we connected here uh, related to this podcast anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, as a content creator, do you have any tips? I think, you know, there's that cliche about the hot take. I think that there's way too much opinion content out there that isn't really original. A lot of it's just kind of bland, milk toast career content. And you're just, with that, you're just competing with like a million other people. So doing something that's original 
like this interview, creating original content that doesn't exist anywhere else. And like I said, that kind of insight that I got early on with my blog, you'd be surprised who would agree to an interview with you, like people who are very high up or already semi-famous and stuff like that. So really kind of taking that opportunity to reach out to someone within your industry and just reach out to them, say, hey, can I interview you? I think that would go a long way. And not only do you get great original content that way, but a lot of times if they're influential within your industry, they'll actually share the content to their social media followers or their email list or something like that. And so they bring their influence to the table when they're doing that. So that was definitely something that I do. So I, I do very, I wouldn't say very little analysis, but a lot of my bread and butter, my content that does the best is the content where I'm actually creating originally research content. And I have the added benefit of having my journalism background. So I'm not just doing like a Q&A, like I'm interviewing them, recording the interview, transcribing it, and then putting together an actual like long form 2000 word article where I'm incorporating in their quotes and stuff like that. So that's where definitely having that journalism background has helped me a lot. Excellent. Gary Vaynerchuk, I might botch this quote a little bit, but I believe Gary Vaynerchuk often says, document, don't create. Because he's saying that it's a lot easier to create content by just documenting what is happening, what you do, what other people are doing. And you may, everybody is familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, right? So you, mm-hmm. you probably know who he is. You may know this, but he ha- literally has somebody following him around all the time yeah. with a camera yeah. and just documenting what he does. And that's a big, gigantic piece of it. <laughs> his content creation strategy. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of one of those people who have reached this threshold that mm-hmm. once he you get above that threshold, people are just like, you know, just interested. And in, he's almost like kind of like a, a micro celebrity in and of himself. So right, if not a full I'm, celebrity. Yeah, so I'm not sure. Yeah, he's now on a show with Gwyneth Paltrow and Jessica oh Alba. So, gosh. <laughs> so yeah, he's a bona fide celebrity. But, Good for him. Um, (laughs) but like, I'm not sure that that advice would work quite as well for someone who's completely unknown. Although if I've been studying a lot of these YouTube vloggers lately and a lot of the most famous ones, all they're doing is just bringing a camera around with them and just documenting what's going on in their day. He's kind of transformed into a lot of his content is like motivational content where he's, he's providing fewer insights, like in-depth insights and more just like trying to motivate people to be entrepreneurs and stuff like that, which is fine. Like self-help content is fine, but I'm not sure that you could build an entire career off of it. But if you look at what Gary V did before he became famous with Wine TV, there he he wasn't just documenting; he was providing real value. He was taking the immense amount of knowledge that was in his head about wine and basically creating these amazing explainer videos. Which he was in the game, you know, a lot earlier when most of YouTube and these video platforms were just amateur content. He was, you know, very early to that game where he didn't have a lot of competitors and he provided a lot of value there. So I think you should glean more from his early career than his later career. You know, think about what you're an actual expert in and then start brainstorming content that you can create around that. That's interesting. Do you happen to have something like a mantra, a question you like to ask yourself or something that you tell yourself to stay inspired? Uh-huh. Well, are you so are you self-employed or do you it's a business. It's mm-hmm. uh, Spiral Marketing is an LLC. Mm-hmm. It's a corporation. So, I mean, a lot of like being an entrepreneur, being self-employed, it is a lot about like self-motivation, 
getting yourself up and just making yourself work every day sure. instead of just watching TV and stuff like that. We there are a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And there are a lot of people I talk to who have nine to five jobs and they're like, I can never do what you do because I would just not stay focused and stuff like that. So I don't know that I have any kind of specific mantra, but um, so I'm taking a risk right now. I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm actually kind of winding down my consulting work. And now I'm trying to basically create like a trade newsletter in tech and media. So to, oh, try, to, to try to kind of basically scale what I'm doing. So take my journalism and apply it to the tech and media industry. So kind of like the way that I pitch it is instead of having four people pay me $2,500 a month, I want to try to get 2,500 people to pay me $4 a month and create like these really good industry insights. So people who people like you and me who work in communications, that they'll pay to subscribe to this newsletter. And I think one mantra that I say to myself now is I've like, you know, I've quit my job and started my own successful businesses and just content, you know, the marketing and PR and stuff like that several times now. So one thing I say is like, when I'm kind of getting down, when I'm trying to go into a new venture, it's like, I can always go back to that. Like, like I've proven that I can always adapt. I can always get clients. That's something that has become easy for me. I have the industry context at this point. So it's worth taking this risk because what's the worst that can happen? I can just go back to what I was doing right before it. So that's not really a mantra, but it is something that helps me get through. I'm sure you as an entrepreneur, you know about those times of doubt and stuff like that, and that those are huge impediments. And that's why a reason, that's a huge reason why most people don't really go out on their own or kind of get scared and, and scamper back to a nine to five job afterwards. And it's being able to tell yourself that basically over and over again. Beautiful. That's helpful. A story is just as good as a mantra. How about resources? It sounds like you're building out your own resource, which is fantastic. But are there any resources that you would recommend to other communicators? So I've been getting more and more into newsletters lately. So I guess I'll rattle off a few of these. So one from a kind of another independent creator that I've modeled a lot of my my current business model that I'm trying to grow. Have you heard of Ben Thompson at Stratechery? The name rings a bell, but I'm not familiar so with So he his work. was this guy. He worked for like Microsoft. I think he might have worked for Apple. He was working at WordPress and he created this blog called Stratechery. He just posted a few times a week and he just started building up this audience and he eventually just kind of quit his job at Automatic, which owns WordPress, and was just like, I'm going to try to make a go for it. So he created this freemium model. So he creates like one long, really in-depth article a week. You can get that on this blog or get it by email. I get it by email. And he has like a podcast that he puts out this week. And then that's for free. And then for $10 a month, you get three extra articles that are delivered by email. I know people who are paid subscribers of him and, and they say it's really worth it. But even if you just listen to the free stuff, like from a big picture, thinking about the, the strategic decisions that huge tech companies make from a communication standpoint, from a positioning standpoint, he's definitely one of the smartest minds. And like every single article you read makes you smarter. So I would definitely put on that. If you're a communicator and you're not subscribing to DigiDay, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, you, like that's like probably, you know, one of the best, like in terms of giving you the the insights, I would compare what they, my journalism, very similar to theirs, of calling up the people who are doing things very successful from a communication standpoint digitally and just asking them how they do it. So really kind of diving deep. 
so many good insights from there. Harvard's Neiman Lab, a publication that I've written for, they do the same thing. Like they they notice that a a publication or some kind of media company is doing something really cool. They interview them, figure out how they do it, and you can basically copy from their playbook. Recode, it's a tech blog that's done by Vox Media. I subscribe to their newsletter. Really good. Those are some of the, some of the publications I read on the on a daily basis. Interesting. Within that, I'm curious, how much time do you spend reading versus writing? That's a good question. So my afternoons are reserved for writing, and my entire mornings are for answering email and just reading industry news. And I think that's so important, um, and it gives me a lot of ideas for my own content by just reading a large breadth of content. I use Instapaper. I don't know if you use that, but it's been a lifesaver. So, you know, I go through all my newsletters, go through Twitter, LinkedIn, and stuff like that, and just I'm just favoriting articles. And then by, you know, 10 a.m., I'm usually done checking my email. And then from like 10 to 12, I'm just reading content and then schedule. And then anything I find interesting or insightful for my readership, I'm using Hootsuite to schedule it out, you know, across the day so that there's every time you're dipping into your social media stream, you can see my content popping up because it's kind of spread out across the day because I, I schedule it out. Smart. Yeah. And I also schedule out content, like one piece of advice I would give to content marketers or for your own content is continually be reaching back into your your archives because you can't assume that your new readers have seen your old content. So overnight when I'm asleep, I schedule out tweets to old articles. Same thing over the weekends. Last thing on my to-do list on Fridays is to schedule out a bunch of tweets that are going out over the weekend on like hour intervals that are linking to past articles that I've written. So that's definitely a piece of advice that I would give to anybody creating content. Excellent. You definitely have an interesting take on content marketing, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. What do you think the future of this industry will look like? I mean, I think we're definitely reaching a saturation point to a certain extent. So you're going to start seeing less and less ROI as more people start kind of investing in this. You know, I've noticed with my own content that it's getting harder and harder to get people to it. Like even as my, you know, subscribership is growing and everything like that, it's getting harder and harder to catch people's attention. So I think to get past that, you basically have to buy eyeballs by putting money towards social media advertising and stuff like that. And you're already seeing this with publications and stuff like that. Like the New York Times, you would think they have this huge audience, huge social media following. Even they are putting money into Facebook ads to get eyeballs on their own content. Same thing with BuzzFeed. Uh, (laughs) So you're going to see a lot of, uh, in addition to the organic stuff, a lot more kind of targeted paid social media ads towards content. Excellent. Well, what is the best place for listeners to learn more about you and to reach you? Okay. So one thing I always tell the most simple version is just tell them to Google my name. So Simon Owen. So I've been working on my online brand going back all the way to 2003. So I'm I'm very fortunate that uh, I rank really well across all my profiles for my name. So that will bring you to simonowens.net as the first result. The second result will be Twitter at Simon Owens, and probably the third result will bring you to my LinkedIn account. So definitely, you know, follow me on any of those. So I'm very into politics, and I'm a liberal. So if you're conservative, or you just, or you don't like, you know, politics, you probably don't want to follow me on Twitter. You probably more likely want to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm much more strict about only 
sharing communications tech media stuff on LinkedIn. So uh, Twitter is my kind of id. Like it's anything that I'm interested in at any given moment uh, that I'm tweeting it out. So if you don't want that kind of raw stream of me, definitely go with the LinkedIn or, or Simon Owens. Uh, you should also, if you go to my website, you could subscribe to my tech and media newsletter, which I send out about once a week. And that has not only just links to my content, but I do a lot of extra analysis and that and stuff like that. Perfect. We'll have links to all of those resources that you just mentioned as well. Have you branded the newsletter yet? I'm just curious. No, I just use basic tiny letter. I, I just didn't, I wanted something that was no fuss, but, uh, and I have no design capabilities or aesthetic Well, uh, even from a naming skills. standpoint, I was curious. It was just, it's just called Simon Owens Tech Newsletter. And that was kind of, and but there was this question of like when creating, especially when I started wanting to create more and more content, do I create like branded website, like the Techita, or I don't know, like some kind of, <laughs> some kind of like clever name that combines tech and media. Like a, like I had this uh, Flipboard magazine. It, no, it was like <laughs> Techedia. Like it was like okay. something like that. And I was thinking like, no, like really I'm just trying to build my own personal brand. So everything should be just Simon Owens, just constantly reminding people of my name. So that's the route I ended up going. Perfect. Well, Simon, real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for being on. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you.